Thank you, music team. Hannah, if you selected those songs, God guided you. They were perfect for the day. Oh. The message today has the title, The Message in the Message. The message we're referring to is God's Word, the Bible. It has been said, the Bible is not only the book of God, but the God of books. The word Bible, derived from the Greek word Biblia, which simply means books. There are 66 books that make up our Bible. The Bible is God's book, God's word, God's message, and I like the title, The Message. I don't think you can beat that. The question is, what is the message in the message? We don't have to get far. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. There is a God that's good to know. Second message, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, living creatures in the sea and the land, and the crown, or I think even the reason for the creation, we read in verse 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image and likeness, so male and female he created them. The whole thing is God's idea. It's all his plan, his planet, his people and his program. And the message is mainly about God and his people. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We read about the three in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the liberated, and acted together in creation. God the Father, I think, came up with the plan. Jesus spoke it out. He managed it. The Holy Spirit actioned it. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number, fill the earth. That's the one command we humans have obeyed. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number and fill the earth. From two people, there are now 7.6 billion people filling the earth. Now the heart and hope of God was that he and his human family would hang out together, get on together, enjoy each other's company, enjoy the manifold blessings that he created for us, to respect him as the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving God. The Father and his family having a good time together. Badly, Satan the deceiver tempted Adam and Eve. Sadly, they were seduced by his lie and sin entered the world. What is sin? A simple definition. Sin is revolt against God. It is a setting up of a false independence the substitution of a life of self without God rather than a life for and with God. So sin, so Satan and sin invaded the planet. Come to Romans 1, 21, 22 and 25. For although they knew God, 
they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So God's human family decided to leave the family home and as a result have got very lost. The Bible put it this way. Genesis 3.24 They were driven out of the Garden of Eden and no longer had access to the tree of life. In other words, paradise was lost. How sad in so few pages from the front cover of the message the plan has been plundered and paradise lost. However, or but, there's going to be a few buts in my sermon today. But before we despair, let's go. I'll use the message to the other end of the Bible. The book of Revelation. In the Greek, the apocalypse, which simply means the unveiling of something hidden. It means revelation, apocalypse, the unveiling. And in the last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, we see that God is going to make all things new. Sin, having been dealt with, its wages paid. Satan is defeated and removed from the scene. In the Bible words, he's thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. God's people, his human family are saved, made new creations with access again to the tree of life. Heaven and earth are made new and paradise restored. So from cover to cover, the message from beginning to end speaks of paradise lost and paradise restored. God has never and will never give up his perfect plan for the planet and its people. His people, his family. But, here's another but. What happens between the two covers, between paradise lost and paradise restored? What happens? What is the message? My summary, trouble, trouble, and more trouble. The message clearly speaks of trouble on the planet. Now, to unfold this message, I'm going to look at the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling. Now, it's a difficult book. It's uh, written in apocalyptic language, which is very symbolic, so full of symbolisms. We have to be interpret how we, we have to be careful how we interpret them. Uh, so, some people interpret in a praetorous way, which means they consider that it happened in a first century setting. 
Others, the historicists, say it's an unfolding of events progressively from Jesus' first to second coming. Then there's the futurists that say it prominently uh, speaks of end time events. And then there's the idealist or the spiritual interpretation, which means it's symbolic pictures of timeless truths. Now, I'm perhaps leaning to the idealist interpretation, but they all fit nicely together anyway. We don't have to worry. In Revelation 6 and 7, we see an unveiling, I think, of the past, the present and the future events. We read there that Jesus, the Lamb of God, opened seven seals, opened seven seals. The first four seals he opens speak of four horses that gallop across the earth. The first one is a white horse and it speaks of conquest and deception on the earth. The second one, a black horse, sorry, a red horse, represents war and bloodshed. The third horse is the black one. It represents famine, hardship and poverty. The fourth horse, a pale horse, represents death. So we see the world is going to endure deception, war, famine and death. These awful troubles have been recyclical, recyclical, however you say it, reoccurring throughout the history of the planet and its people. You don't need to tell you that. You don't need me to tell you that. You don't need the book of Revelation to really tell you that. We can look at it and say, yes, that's true. Sadly, I understand we will see these troubles continue to unfold in the last days of tribulation on earth. They may even heat up a bit. Listen to what Billy Graham said in his book, World of Flame. The world has been in flames before, but only in a limited sense. Today our world is a common neighbourhood, all over it reachable in mere hours by physical flight and in seconds over the radio. This accessibility increases the spread of tension and dissension. Thus when the fires of war and lawlessness break out, they leap the national boundaries and cultural differences to become major conflagrations. How do you say that? Con can you say it? Thanks. I can't say it. I tried in preparing the sermon, but couldn't. Thanks. Okay. The whole world is filled with riots, demonstrations, threats, wars, and with a rebellion against the authority that threatens civilization itself. That was written in 1965. Things have fired up since then. So how are we feeling as we hear this message? Read this little Garfield comic the other day and it made me laugh. He's lying on his back. He's saying, it's never too late. And he's just pointing up, lying in his back. And then the final little one is to give up. <laughs> it's never too late to give up. So should we let the four horsemen gallop over us and give up? The answer is no way. There is good news that outshines the darkness. The God we read about, we read about in Genesis 1, the God of the Bible is a God of love. And the quality of love is that it looks for an object to love. The nature of love is that it wants to express itself in giving itself to others. God's desire in creating humankind, us, is that he might lavish his love 
upon us. We are his human family. He loves us. He has not turned his back on us. The troubled planet and its people had a visitor 2,000 years ago. His name is Jesus. His name means the Lord saves. Just before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Here's another one coming, but. In this world you'll have trouble, but. Take heart, I've overcome the world. The but infers trouble is not going to have the final say. Let's go back to Revelation, the apocalypse. The four horses that gallop across this earth are not the end of the story. Jesus opened three other seals that speak of those who have firstly submitted and sacrificed to God. Then he speaks of the judgments of God against proud, the proud and the loud. And then there's a revelation of those that have turned to God and found salvation in his love. Let's go to Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who were they and where did they come from? I answered, this is John, sir, I've got no idea. Tell me who these people are. And the elder answers, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the spring of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I understand the great multitude represents the church, Christians on earth and then glorified in heaven with God. The tribulation refers to the troublesome times throughout the church age with probable intensification as the age comes to an end. But here's the thing. God is going to bring his people through and out of the trouble and into a restored paradise. Next question, how does this happen? Despite the fact that we have wandered from the family home and got lost, he loves us and wants us to come home. Let me quote Philip Yancey in his book, Vanishing Grace. It strikes me as, a genuinely, good, as genuinely good news that we are creations of a loving God who wants us to thrive, not random byproducts of a meaningless universe, that God entered our world and demonstrated in person that nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love, that the story of Jesus has this main theme, for God so loved the world that he gave. Let's look at that scripture in its entirety. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
raises another question. How did God deal with the sin factor? Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, but the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God, and there's, the wages is death. And death, we know, it means separation from God, separation from the family home. So the wages of sin is death, which means separation from the family home. How did God deal with sin? Come to 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's called the great transfer. transfer. Jesus bore our sin and blessed us with his righteousness. In fact, Kerry, I'm going to travel with you now. Jesus built a bridge to heaven. And you know what? He did it with two pieces of wood. We might look at it right now. Jesus built a bridge to heaven and he did it with two pieces of wood. We can get back to the family, to the family home across this bridge. So what a magnificent message in the message. Again, I want to quote Philip Yancey. In my lifelong study of the Bible, I've looked for an overarching theme, a summary statement of what the whole sprawling book is about. I have settled on this. God gets his family back. From the first book to the last, the Bible tells of wayward children and the tortuous lengths to which God will go to bring them home. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, Jesus has told us that when we humbly repent and come back to God across the bridge, he runs to meet us with hugs and tears. God welcomes us back into the family and the family home. He so loves us. John 1, 10 to 13 tells us. He was in the world and, th and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18 I'll be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Ephesians 2.19 Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Pretty good news. How wonderful to be in God's family. I just want to share with you a little thought process that I had in preparing this word. Why do we call God, God all the time? God is what he is. It's who he is. God is a title. It's like a dog is a dog 
or a person is a person. God is God. Now, we don't say here, dog, come here. Dog, eat your food. Or we don't say, hello, person, hello, human being, welcome, persons here today, welcome. We use their name. We say, sit, Toby. That's the dog I'm talking to now. Or, hello, Peter. Hello, David. Hello, John. I don't say, hello, person, hello, person, hello, person. Did you know God has a name? It's Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. In the Hebrew Bible, the name Yahweh is written over 6,800 times. It means, I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. In our English Bibles, the, the title Lord God is used rather than his proper name, Yahweh. I'm not really sure why. However, when we say, as we have sung this morning, hallelujah, we are using his name, Yah. Hallelujah means praise be to Yah. It's his name. You might be thinking, what about Jehovah? Well, that's his familiar name. That's his nickname. His name is Yahweh. The, the Hebrews, they were too scared sometimes to even say it because they reverenced it so much that they gave him a nickname, Jehovah, and would use that. So why do we call him God in conversation and prayer? Why do we say, dear God? Why don't we say, dear Yahweh? Well, this is the little revelation I had. My father's name is Alan Creswell Smythe. I never called him that once in my life. I called him dad. I called him father. My kids call me dad, daddy, father. I've never heard them say, David, Lee. I love it when my kids call me father, dad and daddy. Well, God invites us to call him father, Abba Father. It speaks of an affectionate, emotive, loving relationship. <coughs> what a privilege to be in God's forever family, to be his son and daughter as we have read. To know and call him Father. And the truth is, God loves us to know him and call him Father. Listen to what Jerry Cook says. In the book title, I always love to quote things I've learned since I knew it all that speak so loudly to me. We can learn stuff as we travel on the road of life. He says, is God like your father? It is significant to me that Jesus always referred to God as father. He used no other term. He came as the son and his purpose was to reveal the father. He could have come in a number of other representations as a prince to reveal the king, for instance, but he didn't. In the 39 books of the Old Testament, God is referred to as father only eight times. In Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Malachi. In the 27 books of the New Testament, God is called Father 242 times. Of those, Jesus was the source no less than 168 times. That is an amazing thing to me. It seems God saw that in our alienation we were fatherless children and he acted to change that forever. Jesus promised his disciples, 
I will not leave you as orphans. So here's the deal. The message in the message. God loves us. He wants to get his family back. He saves us by his grace. We are born again into his family. He becomes our father and we become his sons and daughters. Author Jamie Buckingham says, in summarising the parable of the prodigal son. God does not require anything of us except a broken heart, admission of our sin and a willingness to come home. God takes care of the rest. So life becomes a journey home. Yes, trouble will no doubt come our way. But we're told that God won't allow anything to separate us from his love. And paradise awaits us. Come to the message translation. I want to read to you from 1 Peter 5, 9 and 10. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on your faith. The suffering's not going to last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have, will have you put together and on your feet for good. It goes on to say, he gets the last word. Yes, he does. So I want to say, what a message in the message. Conclusion and challenge. What a privilege to be in God's family. What a privilege to be invited on board for the ride home. God invites us to walk and work with him. Our responsibilities as individuals in a local church are 2 Corinthians 5.9, to make it our goal to please him. I, I, I'm going to just stay on that for one minute. I, I just think, you know, people say, what's your goal? Got a goal? What's your goal? That's it, guys. We make it our goal to please him. It's as simple as that. 1 Peter 4, eight. We should love, to love each other deeply. These are our responsibilities, to love each other deeply. How are we doing? 1 Peter 4.10. To use whatever gift we have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 1 Corinthians 9.22. Become all things to all men so that by all possible means we might be used by God to save them. You know, by God's grace, we are the custodians of the most amazing, hope-filled message in the world. God wants us to help him to get his family back. God wants us to help him get his family back. Come to 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How can we do that? It's another sermon here, a couple of thoughts. Be a good example of God's family. Hey, how well do we represent God, our Father, the family? See others as fellow pilgrims who God loves. And we have to look at... God loves these. He wants, he wants all these other people out there to come back. He wants his family back. 
Be open for business. That's my little saying. If we're open for business, and we should say every day, God, I'm open for business, and you know what will happen? You'll send the customers. Care and share out of love. Care and share out of love, God's love in our hearts. Two closing thoughts. Firstly, where are we up to in the Bible story? About there? It's about where we're up to. Romans 13, 11 and 12 says, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So I think we've been told there's no time to waste. We need to be open for business. There's a lot of customers out there that need to know that God wants to call them home into the family and for them to call him father. Listen to what Erwin Erwin McManus says in his book Chasing Daylight. There There is a reason why the movie Dead Poets Society resonated in the hearts of so many people. The mantra of carpe diem captures us all. We must seize the day because within each day there are God-given opportunities waiting to unfold and every 24-hour period is full of divine moments. We need to be open for business. The second closing thought. As God the Father wants his family back, We as parents want our immediate family members, our kids, our children to be secure in God's household, don't we? So we pray. God, may our children be your born-again children. May they know you as their loving Heavenly Father. Help us, Father, as their parents to help and not hinder them in their love and understanding of you. Father, I give you thanks for this message of love. Have your way in our lives, I pray. Amen.